welcome everybody to the Big No Podcast. I'm your host Pamela Cooley and today we've got another incredible episode for you. It's a big topic. We're talking about mental health. I know a huge topic, but it's something that I'm super passionate about. And for me, mental health, I feel like sometimes it's masked behind wild, like big smiles and hashtags such as, you know, hashtag living my best life. But for me to really understand mental health and to support those who are going through it, I think it's really important that we listen to people's lived in experiences. And today I've got an incredible person who I'm so blessed to have on the show today. His name is Antonio Ferreira. And he is a multi-award winning mental health activist and campaigner. And he's someone who is working tirelessly to change the way the UK view mental health, especially when it comes to underrepresented communities. For the Big No podcast, it's all about turning those no's into next opportunities. And as Antonio likes to say, turning his lemons into lemonade. So welcome, Antonio, to the Big No podcast. Thank you for having me. By the way, that was a great introduction. Ah, thanks. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, you know what? I'm so honoured to have you here today because you know what? For me, growing up, you know how you have like role models and people Mm. that you look up to? Um, Okay, showing my age now, but I loved the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, I absolutely (laughs) loved the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And then now I'm an adult and I'm thinking about the things that, you know, I struggled with um, when I was at school and, you know, when I was a teenager and then when I got into, you know, university and the workforce and things like that. And then you kind of realise that the people that you really look up to are the people who are like you or maybe come from your background, you know, has gone through the same struggles. They're the people that I find true inspiration from. And I think that you're somebody who many people see as a role model because of what you've gone through and how open you are about it. The um, struggles that you've gone through that you still may go through as well. And I know the work that you do is so incredibly heavy as well. So I just want to ask you as a first question, how do you manage that, that consciousness of wanting to go out there and change the way people perceive mental health but also you are still trying to take care of your own mental health at the same time. How do you juggle that if you do? Sure. I mean, first of all, thank you for recognising, you know, my work mm-hmm. and the, the struggles that still continue with the work. And I appreciate you calling it inspiration um, as well. I, I guess for me, it's, you know, when I was young, someone said to me, once you turn your hobby into work, it starts to become a, more of a burden than something you enjoy doing. So for me, I try to maintain that that passion, but that, that genuine interest I have for mm-hmm. it, not just that, you know, it's, okay, it's my job now, you know, I need to inspire people, I need yeah. to, you know, I need I, I need to do this much for people because people are expecting this from me. It, it, you know, it definitely is something I want to do out of my own accordance and because I'm doing it out of my accordance, I go at my own pace, yes. right? Uh, you know, it's inevitable that even still with that, there will come pressures and expectations, mm-hmm. but as I said, you know, I found my purpose in this journey Right, and that purpose will not be taken away by anyone else or misconstrued by anyone else. And so grounding yourself in the idea that I know why I joined this journey, I know mm. why I'm on this journey, I know what I want out of this journey, of course, is to benefit others, mm-hmm. right? That's, that is the main goal, outcome out of all of it. But I chose this journey for myself mm. to inspire others. And so I will inspire people when and how I want to inspire people at my own pace and my own well-being. Yeah. Love that. So if we go back to the beginning, um, you've gone through some trauma in your life. Mm. And if you don't mind me saying that, so you were diagnosed with undifferentiated schizophrenia. Yes. Could you just give us an idea of what that is? Yeah, sure. So 
it was a quite a new term for me as well. Mm. Um, you know, when people think of schizophrenia, it's you know schizophrenia is actually a general term, and so what it will be is that there's about three or four other categories that make up schizophrenia. So you'll have paranoid schizophrenia, which I'm sure a lot of people will yeah. be aware of. You'll have catastrophic schizophrenia, and then I think there's other another one or two which mm. I, I can't remember off the top of my head mm. right now. But undifferentiated means that all four or three come into one, and so there isn't a category it goes into specifically. I have elements of each one, the catastrophic part of schizophrenia, the paranoid part of schizophrenia, and whatever the other others are. So it's un undifferentiated, um, ultimately. Okay, so when were you diagnosed with that? And um, what was the build up to that? When I was diagnosed is a difficult one because, see, I went through it as a teenager, right? Mm. And what I guess a lot of people find is when you're in services as a, as a, a child or adolescence, you're not really told everything that's going on. It's more your parents that are told mm. because I guess it's a thing of not wanting to overwhelm you. Um, so I really just found out when I decided to take lead in my own care and I start asking questions. That's when I found out, you know, I had right. this diagnosis. Before knowing about schizophrenia, there were actually multiple variations mm. that were added to my, um, uh, my health record before that. So, you know, there was an ongoing process in that sense. Now, the lead up to it, you know, I, I was, this this student, a model student, if you'd say, mm. um, my, when I'd get homework, you know, my I, I wouldn't take tw more than 24 hours to do that homework. I'd go home the same day and do that homework. If I didn't have homework, I'd write out a whole book just to improve my handwriting, you know. So I was that student that appeared determined mm. and hardworking and, you know, really, really focused, right? And that in itself is good, I, you know, hands down. I'm proud to have been had those attributes. However, there comes a thin line when that then turns into unhealthy expectation, unhealthy pressure. Yeah. Because I grew up my whole life being a student or being known as a student, it was like, wow, now, you know, now I can't not be this student, right? Yeah. So I had to live up to what, I guess, th th those expectations that mm. were set upon me. And, you know, at the time I was going through high school, um, getting closer to GCSEs, it was, yeah, it was really stressful. I was experiencing physical symptoms of the stress I was going through. and. I think it just came to the day where I'd been building up so much emotion, so much stress, so much tension that it all came out, mm. you know, and what um, it started to come out, I guess. Now, the first thing that happened was I got into an altercation with a senior staff of, um, of, my, of my high school at the time. I'd never gotten a disciplinary before. Mm. So this was the first time in all my um, school years. And it was for gross defiance. I can't exactly remember what was going on, but I remember, you know, I was putting up a fight towards something I was instructed to do. And I was like, no, you know, whatever, whatever, so forth. And so that raised concerns to the people closest to me, my parents, my my teachers. And I'm, I think I recall my head of year is who suggested to my parents, you know, something maybe might be up with Antonio, maybe he should, you know, be seen by someone to see if there's something that can be done. And my parents, you know, took me to my uh, general practitioner for my general practitioner I was referred to child adolescent mental health service now whenever I tell this part everyone thinks it's funny but it's really serious it's not you know a pun on words that of, of Drake's song but at camps things went zero to 100 real quick it was you know trying to figure out what was going on but as someone who had never had the conversation on mental ill health was so ignorant mm. to it was so oblivious to it how could I explain what was going on right yeah I just denied it all personally I denied all oh, to everyone else I denied I said no you know, I'm just boys will be boys kids will be kids you know this is the way it is mm. until it came to that point where I guess my mind had enough you know I was experiencing all the terror hallucinations 
I was paranoid. I was, you know, as I said, having catastrophic thinking, this um, idea of black or white thinking where, you know, if I didn't become what everyone else wanted me to become, mm. that'd be it for me. And that pressure grew and grew and grew through the years. Fortunately, I bypassed my GCSEs, but then came sticks from college and that was a whole different pressure as you can imagine. And so at that point, I think my, well not I think, my mind just believed the best option to get rid of all the, the, the troubles I was going through was mm. to attempt to take my own my own life. You know, it was the idea of well, if I can't escape my mind, then I have to escape the whole world sort of um, ideation. And, you know, in, in that attempt, Fortunately, my brother was there to sort of stop me from doing what I wanted to do. And then mm. I went into a psychiatric unit at the age of 16. And I guess from there is really when I found my purpose, I accepted my mental ill health and I just strive for ambition. That's an incredible story. Thank you. I mean, we keep using the word like inspiration and I feel like we're starting to dilute that. But honestly, um, I wouldn't use it if I didn't wholeheartedly believe in it because I can't even imagine what that would have been like at a teenager at that time. Like the amount of fear that you must have had. Mm. And I think also it just kind of shows you just how powerful your mind can yeah. be. And this is why we need to really put focus on our mental health mm. because we tend to neglect the fact that our mind is, our brain is like a muscle, mm. do you know what I mean? And we have to take care of it and we need to reach out and be asking for help. but. That asking for help is such a huge step, right? Yes, it is. And also, let's just talk about the fact that we are talking about mental health as a black teenage yes. boy. The challenges, the stigma, the additional stigmas that come with that, and I'm not saying there's no stigmas for, you know, any other um, child um, from a different background, but we just need to make it crystal clear that there's additional challenges mm. um, for those from underrepresented communities such as ours. How did you feel as well when you were told that diagnosis? Did you have the same kind of misconceptions that maybe other people would have? Or did you find it hard to accept it? Or were you just like, okay, that's what it is? Yeah, I was more than that. I was like, okay, that's what it is. I guess if I'd found out earlier, maybe I would have held that mm. misconception that came with it because as I, as I tell it, you know, the only thing I knew about or I perceive about mental ill health was watching the Joker and, and, and Batman. Yeah. That's really the idea I had yeah. of mental ill health. You know, as funny as it sounds, it really is the idea I had of, of mental ill health until, as I said, I went into the psychiatric unit. I learned from other patients, from my peers. That's when I realized, oh, hang on, this mm. is more than just the Joker and Batman. This mm. is, you know, this is reality. Yeah. And there's so many versions of it that is under misconceptions, yeah. right? So I think, yeah, at the time I found out, I was just like, okay, it is what it is. And it actually gave me a bit of relief because it's like, I know what's going on. Mm. You know, I know what I'm working towards now. Almost like, you know, imagine you're trying to, you know, do a, an assignment or something and you're trying to find all the answers. And you're like, oh my God, I can't find the answers. What's going on? You build that frustration. But mm. once you find the answer, you're like, okay, I know where to go now with this. Mm. I know what I'm following. I know what I'm doing sort of thing. So yeah, it was more just, okay, you know, did that That's offer it. you some kind of relief as well? Definitely, yeah, most definitely. But you know, again, that was just a probably this, the start of other frustrations. Yeah, yeah, you know, yes. And at that time, I was relieved that I got that um, diagnosis. But down and what the do you years, do with that diagnosis? Yeah, exactly right. And and what you'll find is in different services that you go towards, that diagnosis now gets a different idea, and people yeah. are like, no, that's wrong, and actually, no, I think it's this, and I think it's a lot more, and you know. 
then that frustration comes in a whole different aspect. It's quite interesting when you said about like, you know, the idea you had of schizophrenia was like the joker because something very similar to my family who are neurodiverse and my eldest is autistic. And a lot of people, it's very similarly would be like, oh, autism, they think of like Rain Man or mm. something like that. Do you know what I mean? Or they think of the other end of the spectrum where it's like some incredible genius. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, And right. even when we got our son's diagnosis and our children are mixed race, they, um, we almost felt like something magical was going to happen when we got this mm. diagnosis. Mm. And in all reality, that's when the hard work actually started because yeah. you get the diagnosis, you get a leaflet. Yeah. <laughs> with very general leaflet. Mm. And then it's kind of like, off you go. Yeah. figure it out and I think you have to be it depends on it's a bit of a postcode lottery depending on where you are in the country yes. depends on what services that you get yes. and that's one of the major frustrations with me because I'm like why should it be so different depending on where you live and mm. your background or your gender or your ethnicity I think there's so many biases when it comes mm. to you know diagnoses of every range um and I know that you are working so so hard to kind of change the perception of how the UK views mental health and you know the services available to those so would you say that this whole experience was has this been like the biggest turning point in your life most definitely yeah yeah most definitely before this I actually all I wanted to do was uh, play football for Manchester United why do I feel like you were gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know that was my ambition that was my my aspiration so it yeah definitely was a major turning point and you know it was fortunately a positive turning mm-hmm. point you know there's a lot of situations where going through those experiences they actually break someone further and you know they never actually come to be anything you know I, I guess not not anything better but they don't want yeah. to work towards anything more you know it just becomes their whole reality but you can it's understand the, why of course of course yeah. and, you know as I said you know learning from my peers and, and um, in, in the psychiatric unit it was actually more them that sprung me towards actually I need, I need to do something That's here to change you know to change the views of people because it was almost like you know they they were struggling they were going through their own um experiences mm. and but they were satisfied with that and they said and it, it's like they looked at me and said I see something in you though and I want mm. you to go out there and and do it for us you know yeah. like they they sat with me outside my room and stuff like that talked to me through things you know they made me understand things better if they, if you on like at the beginning when I first spoke to them, because I was so ignorant, I'd always say to them, "By the way, I'm not here for the same things as you." Really? You know? Yeah, I was that ignorant, right? And uh, you know. But do you think that's almost a part of like protection as well, because you don't want to succumb to the idea that, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm I am like you. Yeah, no, you know definitely, mean? definitely, and again, that comes in with that lack of knowledge, lack yeah. of education, right? And I'm very fortunate that they didn't take that so personal, but yeah. actually looked beyond that and said, "Okay, you know what." we could help him sort of thing rather than, you know, take his judgment to, to heart. That's really powerful and such an amazing opportunity to for people to share their experiences mm. and stories. And I think as an author as well, I think there's so much power in storytelling mm. um, and, you know, sharing the hardest parts of your story yeah. because it could literally be that blueprint to help somebody be like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to try this. Like that person's done it. And... I want to, you know, we all deserve to be happy. And mm. I feel like when somebody, when you can relate to somebody who's going through the same um, issues or circumstances as you, it gives you that hope. And I think mm. when it comes to mental health, 
a lot of the time people don't have that hope. Yeah. That hope is completely diminished. So I actually don't know where I'm going with this, but... <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. That, and that's, that's, that is what I was trying to say, you know, is that people are so... so, so in most cases, people can't find that hope again. And so yeah. they just live under that rock of, you know, it is what it is sort of thing. But in that situation in the psychiatric unit, they were like, okay, you know what? If we can give you hope, that's yeah. good enough for us. I think a lot of what you'll find is a lot of people... Well, I believe a lot of, what I believe is that with a lot of people, they will want to help others more than themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they can help others, they you know, they're happy with that. Yeah. As as great as that sounds, we should still encourage others to help themselves as well and find that hope. And that's why I think I took that that oath, that vow when I came out of the psychiatric unit that, you know, first I'd go and study it and that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. Two, I'd advocate for it, you know, I'd make i'd be i'd be that beacon of hope for people mm. who were satisfied with being hopeless that's actually you know let's get up let's you know work towards that and you know what i will i will start that drive for you all you have to do is get in the car and we'll go together yeah so what do you think about the whole concept of how schools can become more involved in supporting um their students because i was thinking back to when i was at school um especially around like sex education mm. and again i'm showing my age here but yeah. <laughs> but when we had sex education i think the first time they separated the boys and the girls so right. the girls went into one room and the boys went into the other room and i remember right. at that time thinking but to have sex you need to be together so why sure. are we not in the same room sure. listening about sex mm. and i found it really weird that they almost separated us as if it was like this really weird dirty thing that mm. you know we don't really want to talk about but we have to and i think also like we really very very rarely touched on mental health right and if it was about mental health i think it was they didn't even use the word depression or anxiety mm. back then it was almost the, almost a sense of like you know just get on with it yeah do you know what i mean mm. and it was like there was no kind of support or offering there or anybody came into school to say you know what I've got mental health problems so so there was Mm. no kind of like sharing experiences or listening so the work that you do what are the kind of key fundamental things that you want to install in you know students when you go there and what are the things that schools can do to really like realistically support their students I think from personal experience teachers you know indirectly i'm sure they meant it with pure good intentions were part of that pressure mm. for me to achieve you know we know when teachers would sort of point you out in the class as, as a good student as a high achieving student mm. oh look at antonio look he done this and he done that why can't the rest of you follow in his example right you know oh you know oh antonio you're such a high hard-working student don't get distracted by your other peers you know yeah. these kind of words that should be encouragement and at times they are we also need to understand how they're taken by the student, how yeah. they're understood by the student. I think as teachers, sometimes we get lost in that bubble of just teaching, 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 and, you know, achieve, achieve, achieve. Whereas yeah. it's, we don't take a step back and go, actually, I wonder how he's doing. Mm. You know, I wonder how he's coping with all of this. I wonder how he's managing. And that was the unfortunate thing for me that, that I lacked during my time um, through, through school. You know, no one stopped to go, actually, I wonder how he's, you know, taking on all this. How is he managing all of this work you know mm. he's coming through with it but how is he actually managing it so that'll be the first thing i mm-hmm. say is actually you know understanding your students and how they cope and manage with the work the, the the language you know all of that and then as students i think if and when i complete university i would have done seven years mm-hmm. at university and someone would, would say i'm a, a persistent student which, <laughs> you know um is a good attitude to have of course but um it's just really doing, doing things in your own pace you know not 
sort of living under that idea, that internal timer of, oh my God, if I don't, you know, get my GCSEs done in this time, then everything will fail. Mm. You know, we all work our own pace, our own level as I, as I started at the beginning, right? And we can't be expected to do as others are doing. You know, yeah. we have to find our own path, our own lane and just flow with that, you know? Yeah. I think what we tend to do is look at, especially when we're putting sets, you know, someone who's in a high set, someone's in a low set, we'll always compare ourselves to each other, right? And the person in the low set will most likely look at the high, the person in the high set and be like, man, why can't I be like them? Why can't I be in their, in their set? Why can't I do as much as them? And the person in the, in the high set might even look at those in the lower set and be like, you guys got it so easy, you know, mm. there's so much we're doing. I wish I could just, you know, sit back or whatever it is, yeah. you know, in that set. So it's really just finding that middle ground, that balance of actually, okay, I know what, I need to do here mm. but i also know what my capabilities and, and my capacity is within mm. this 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 ambition that's really interesting so what do you do at the moment to really kind of take care of your mental health are there kind of like key things which are like non-negotiables where you try and do daily or weekly and you find that really really helps or is it more of like a over time you've accumulated this kind of like toolkit where you just kind of like dip into that and then mm. try that or well first and foremost i, I have breakfast I okay. tell you how important that is. I never used to have <laughs> right, breakfast. Okay. I used to probably have one meal a day and just drink loads of fizzy drinks. And my ah, psychiatrist okay. pulled me up once and said, that's why you're so impulsive because your right. diet is full of caffeine and not enough, um, you know, a, a very yeah. um, n- nutrients and minerals, right? You're just focused on this, 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 this um, sugar so, and So what and was caffeine. that your, was that just because you just wanted to have something quick or what, you just weren't hungry or you just... I was just, you know, concerned with other things. You know, right. I wasn't really... I didn't really that pay wasn't attention. A priority. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a priority, and 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 I didn't know the connection between your gut and your mind mm. at the time. You know, mm-hmm. because of just how far they are from each other, I yeah. just thought there's nothing connected here. But then, as I said, you know, we we learn with our mistakes. And when my psychiatrist pulled me up on it, I said, "Let me try differently and see what happens." Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, try my best to avoid uh, fizzy drinks, energy drinks. I don't drink coffee. I will have breakfast every day. Um, and then aside from diet, you know, I, I try to I try to talk a lot more. Yeah. I try not to bottle things up, and sometimes it's good to have different people for different things, different conversations, mm. right? My parents, my brothers, friends, different things for different conversations. And the key thing in it all is balance. As much as I work, as much as I study, taking that time out to really love yourself, mm. to fill yourself with your own company, that is important because you know. You you try to chase company and everyone else. Mm. You, you, once everyone else is you know, not there, you'll feel so lonely. But that yeah. lonely is a is a I guess a, a perceived hallucination because you you're so used to being around company that you've not been used to your own company. Yeah. That when you know one day some everyone's not available because they're busy with their own lives, you start to think I'm so lonely. I don't have no friends. You know. So it's finding the balance between all these ends. You know, and just understanding mm. things a bit more. You know, I I. A common example is, you know, you walk into a room where people are having a conversation and as soon as you walk in, they stop talking. You know, our first thoughts are they were talking about me. Mm-hmm. But actually, maybe they were talking about something that is a trigger to you. And so they were actually protecting you, you know. Okay. So it's about looking at things in a different perspective. And just when you have conversation with people, you start to learn that mm-hmm. there are different perspectives mm-hmm. to things, not just your own. Yeah, absolutely. So breakfast is one. Yes. Okay. Things like exercise, does that help or... It does. I'm saying that for the camera, it does. 
but I don't really exercise much. Um, I'm trying to get back into yeah. it. It is, a, it is a goal for, for me this year. Um, I definitely know the benefits of it and that's why I want to get into it. I just haven't reached that mm-hmm. point. I say that because I come from a health and fitness background anyway and that, and fitness was the thing that I'm not even going to exaggerate saved my mm. life when I had agoraphobia. So I was mm. diagnosed with agoraphobia and for those who don't know it's like extreme fear of large spaces or leaving your home and yeah. for me it was very much the latter I couldn't leave my home but exercise was something that finally got me out of the home yeah. so I started doing like YouTube videos in my mm. bedroom because I felt really safe then and then over a period of a few months I started to just build up that confidence and it gave me that kind of escapism where for that short amount of time yeah. I was just focusing on something yeah. and getting out of my own head for a bit and that was for me just like revolutionary yeah so I know the um the benefits of how um exercise can really help I also can 100% understand that when you're in a dark place Mm. and someone goes just 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 do a bit of exercise you're like fuck off yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean like I can't get out of bed or I'm constantly battling with these thoughts in my head and you want me to go and do some jumping jacks like to that person in that moment of time it's not practical yeah so is there anything that you think like if there's one takeaway that you would advise someone to do when they're in that midst of despair and they feel like there is no hope out there and they can't reach out to someone. Is there anything that you have learned through your own struggles that kind of is your beacon of light in that moment? Hard question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tough <laughs> question. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a few things, but they're all just, I guess, reminders to myself, mm-hmm. right? And the first one is it's the tortoise that won the race, not the hare, mm. you know? So you've really got to take each time of each step because mm-hmm. you will get there in the end. I've got that tattooed on me. That's how much I, I believe in it. And then the second one is, you know, it doesn't rain forever. Mm-hmm. And although I know it does, the sun doesn't shine forever too, it's a normal habit to when it rains to wear a jacket as protection, right? Yeah. So when it is raining, you know, we wear a jacket and that jacket will be our resilience. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to find our resili- resilience through those rainy days because... Mm-hmm. The sun will come out eventually, Absolutely. you know, and you will have to push against the clouds to see the sun shining again. But, you know, they're opposite ends because without the bad, you won't appreciate the good. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we have to have those moments of despair to then realise when the good comes into it, we can hold on to it with yeah. their life and we can say, I'm, ha- I'm glad I waited. Yeah. So are you hyper aware now of when you feel like you are taking too much on and when mm. you were exhausted? And I say that because I saw um, your, I think it was your LinkedIn post or maybe Instagram post just before Christmas. Sure. And I think you had said that, um, by the way, you've done incredible things and won incredible awards and <laughs> rightly so. And I think you started off with that you had been um, nominated or you'd received some kind of award. I'm so sorry, I can't remember what it was. No um, but in the same post, you said that you'd also realised that you'd taken on too much. Yeah. And you put something out, which um, I could get a little bit emotional. I'm so sorry, I don't know why. But you said something about like, you felt like you're sorry that you'd let people down. Yes. And I, and it was that word, letting people down. And I just thought, oh my God, like, could you just take a step back to see mm. the, the impact that you've had on people's lives? And, sure. and you are human, do you know what I mean? Mm. And I feel like sometimes when we're in this space where we want to make so much impact and so much change for everybody else, then we actually forget that we also need to make that impact for ourselves. Yeah. So when you put that post out saying that, you know, you like, you know, lost relationships or, yeah. you know. Um, I know exactly which post you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. just, I was like, oh my God, I really 
I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you put that post out mm. because it shows your vulnerable side of you. Yeah. And we all mm. have these feelings of like, when we've let people down and we feel yeah. shit and all the rest of it. But not many of us will post that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But I just thought that, that whole concept of letting people down, I was like, I want you to know that you didn't, you didn't let anyone down. Thank because you. I think you would have let yourself down if you just kept pushing and pushing yeah. and pushing to the point of break point. Yeah. And I feel like you've worked so hard that you, you should never ever think that you've let anybody down. Thank you, I, I appreciate that. And you know, you're right, we, we did, I did get to breaking point mm. last year, so my, I relapsed, I went back into um, hospital for my mental health. And this is where I said, you know, about actually remembering why I took this journey on and my purpose within this journey and, you know, my pace within this journey. Because it got to a point where, you know, yes, I was winning all these awards and, you know, people were saying great things, but then that gave room for another expectation yeah, to live up to, right? Yeah, exactly, another pressure. And it was like, oh my God, everyone sees me as this really highly motivated, inspirational, mm. hopeful person. I don't want to give them any clue that I'm not, you know, mm. that today or yeah. tomorrow or this week. Yeah. I just want to keep going and show them, okay, I am this person. Yeah. I am hope and inspiration, inspiration and motivation, you know? There is no space, there, or I gave myself no space mm. to be weak, vulnerable. Because you can be both. Right. And you can, and you're right. And, yeah. and, you know, it was like, as I said, you know, letting people down because I was trying to push myself, push myself. There came times where, you know, I physically and mentally couldn't push myself. And so mm. I had to let down, well, I had to deny opportunities. And, you know, I had to tell people, oh, I can't do this anymore today or so and forth and so forth. And that to me felt like a huge weight. Mm. It was like, man, you know, they really put, their trust in me, they really put their, their expectation in me. And I just went, I can't do it, yeah. you know? So for me, again, it comes back to that black or white thinking, you know, if, if, if I've said no here, then that's it really, you know? But I think last year, along with all of that, the awards, the relapse was a year full of lessons, mm. mistakes. And, you know, I, I, I don't, in a sense, regret any of it because this year, you know, as we was talking out there, it's made yeah. me a lot more focused and understanding in terms of, hang on a minute, you know, there is still my mental well-being here, even as an activist and campaigner. There is, yeah, there is still, there are still boundaries. Yeah, yeah you're right. And um, yeah, you know, I just learned to take things a lot more, a lot less intense. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, if I can't do it, well, when one door closes, another door opens, Absolutely. right? Um. And yeah, I, I, I set some rules as well. Like I try not to have more than two free stretching um, meetings in a day and to have, you know, including the week and a day of the week off, I do nothing at all. And, you know, that's okay because, yeah. you know, we work our own pace, our own level. And the goal isn't to be the quickest to change yeah. the world. It's, you know, the small things make the biggest, biggest difference. And Absolutely. so we, we still take each, we take each step slowly and as it comes and we will get there eventually as i said it's the tortoise that won the race not mm -hmm. the hare love that okay i've got some closing questions for sure. you some big ones okay sure. <laughs> so number one if i could give you a magic eraser right now and you could go back in time and erase any part um of your history or any events um mm. would you or would you not no i wouldn't erase any of any events and anything from my history i think and the reason, I, yeah, the reason I say that is because it made me who I am today, simply mm. put. You know, I, I think a lot of people, when they go through ex some certain experiences, they regret those experiences. But actually, the wise didn't become wise without making mistakes. Absolutely. So, you know, we have to embrace those mm. mistakes and say, okay, actually, 
in that mistake, in that defeat, there was a lesson in how I win next time and how I do better. So mm. rather than erase it, let's analyze it and work out even better if. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love the question, um, you've probably been asked this or heard it, like what advice would you give to your younger self? But I want to ask you, what would your younger self say to you right now? That was a tough question. <laughs> it could be anything. I think it'd look at me and say, man, you really proved me wrong. Mm -hmm. That's what I say, really, you really proved me wrong. Because at that time where I thought, you know, I couldn't escape yeah. what I was going through. Well, we, we did that, you yeah. know, with sheer strength and willpower. And I didn't see that at the time. So I think, yeah, definitely would look, my younger self would look at me now and say, man, you really proved me wrong. And I'm glad you did. Yeah, your, yeah. your, your own role model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then this one's probably going to be a tough one. Um, but with this podcast, obviously, it's about, you know, looking for those next opportunities. And it's hard, you know, when you get rejection or setbacks mm. in life, it stings. Mm -hmm. And I want to have more of these conversations with people. So is there anybody in your line of work, your network, yeah. um, your community who you think, actually, I want Pam to listen to their story? And if there is, don't say the name. Mm but could you just give us an idea of who this person is and why you think they'll be a great person to come on the podcast? I'm putting you on the spot now. Yeah, and you know what? It's the fact that I can't name them, so that's yeah. why I'm trying to think how I say <laughs> Don't this. Don't say the name. Um, so there is someone, but they came as they came into my life as a pet, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they came, yeah, so they came as a pet. I think they have just shown... Did you say pet? A pair, yeah. I thought it's a pet first. No, 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 no. We're no, <laughs> so like, getting an animal <laughs> on here. No, no. So I met, I met both at the same time. Got they you, came got into you. life at the same time, and they have just shown the utmost patience, understanding, dedication, and passion mm -hmm. towards what I believe in and what they believe in. And you know, they've they've just just been that role model for mm. me in terms of they've had their. Um, adversity they've yeah. had the experiences but are now turning that into something mm. if i say what it makes it obvious <laughs> into something that supports others okay right yeah. and i just you know it's a space i i'm very passionate about i i you know admire a lot and yeah. i will it's unfortunately not today but i will go anywhere and everywhere showing that space showing off that space right yeah, yeah i think they've just done a lot um for me as personally and professionally and it's, it's it's hard to come across you know gems as such and so it's i'm trying to find it difficult to say it without <laughs> say it. giving away yeah. anything you but, tell um, me afterwards and we'll try and make it happen though yeah please no it, you know it'd be great we're gonna see if we can make it happen <laughs> you know what i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation Thank i feel you. like we can explore this so much more and i'd love to get you back on again Thank so we can you. talk more about it but thank you so much for sharing your story honestly it's gonna be that beacon of light to other people who are going through their own trials and tribulations right now and i feel like you're such an incredible person who wants to give back to people as well but i think it's really important that you remember to give back to yourself because you're an incredible person so thank, thank you. you so much for coming on the big Low podcast thank you for having me it was a great conversation Yay. <laughs>